Amen. Thank you, Micah. Church, good to sing with you this morning in this season. Our year's not over, but in my mind, the last week, I have been feeling like the year is over, reflecting. Uh, I don't know about I don't know about you. I wonder if we take joy seriously enough. I wonder if we take joy seriously enough. In Christ, joy is not a power-up from normal Christianity. Joy is not the Navy SEAL level of Christian experience. Grumpiness, sullenness are not Christian virtues. They're not normal in heaven. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, I don't think the church rejoices enough. We all grumble enough and groan enough, but very few of us rejoice enough. Christians should be joyful. For us here at Millwood Baptist Church, it's in our church purpose, joyfully building up the body of Christ for the glory of God. Joyfully. We say it this way in our membership class, which we've done recently. We're not doing it right if we build up the body of Christ for the glory of God miserably, moaningly. One pastor addresses the seriousness of joy like this. If your joy comes from the world, its benefits, its comforts, its kudos, you're like a leaf in the wind. Yours is not a serious joy. It's a secondhand joy. You are not free. Serious joy sets people free and makes them the most secure and subversive people. Serious joy is the only kind that matters because it's the only kind that survives and magnifies the name of Jesus. We all need a serious joy that survives and magnifies the name of Jesus. I've seen ongoing sickness this week, loss of loved ones, loss of hopes, struggles with sin. Our pain is serious. Our loss is serious. Our longing and groaning and desperation is serious. Only a great, serious joy could compete. Only a great joy would dare impede on our victim mentality and wash away real depths of sorrow that we can know. The angelic announcement is for us good news of great joy. Let's pray. Father, would you be with us this morning as we move now to hear your word preached? Would you help us see you clearly, see ourselves clearly? If we need to see sin, help us to see sin. If we need to see weakness to be strengthened, help us see weakness. 
Father, we need to see your glory. We need to see joy. We need to see the good news. And we cannot see it unless you do what you said you would do in Isaiah 61, which is come and heal the blind. Help us see. Would you do that by the preaching of your word, by the power of your spirit, for your own glory and for our joy, in Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 2, really just one verse that we're focusing on this morning, good news of great joy. That little section of verses 8 through 14 is the center of Luke chapter 2. You look at verses 1 through 7, you get the setting of the good news, where it is heard, the actual events, the birth of Christ. The second half of the chapter, verses 9 through 20, you, you see what they did with the news, in response to the news, and after the news. Whatever is contained in the middle of this chapter is structurally the center of the events of Luke 2. In the first and last section, we get events that happened. You'll see the phrases, in those days and while she gave birth and in the same region, telling us events and things that happened. But the narrative breaks significantly. The, the story kind of erupts off the page in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, when it says, an angel appeared. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around him. They were filled with great fear. Notice then that there's an angel talking or singing from verses 10 through 14, the center of this chapter. Then when the angels are done talking and singing, we get narrative again. The story continues. When the angels went away and they went and they saw the shepherds returned. It's not a journalistic accident by Luke. Here's how this works. The angelic announcement and the song in the middle give the full meaning of the events of the nativity of the chapter. We get the meaning of the chapter many ways through the chapter, but the point is in the middle, telling us that this baby born in a manger in Bethlehem as a son of Joseph and Mary, what it means. Why does this baby matter? Is it a sweet story of a young mother? Of course. I've heard a few birth stories in my life. I could tell a few myself, albeit from a very limited perspective. This birth is not just a miraculous, tender birth story. What do these events mean? The birth, the before and the after are the happenings around the angelic announcement, which is heaven's messengers sent to give the meaning. The meaning is this, chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We looked at this last week more closely, that being in the city of David is a connection to King David and the throne of Israel. We saw that Jesus being the Savior, the Soter, means that Jesus was born to take away sin. Like when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, what did he say of Jesus? He said, there he is, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And this child, at his birth, not later crowned, not later on, at his birth, he was what he remains today, Christ the Lord, the anointed Messiah to bring about the culmination of all of God's plans. He's Lord, ruler, reigning over everything in heaven and earth 
as God Himself is Lord. The angel shows up and their message to the shepherds is this, that baby over there, that's the Christ, the Savior. They are offering meaning to the events and all the meaning of the angelic announcements follow Jesus all the way. They follow his purpose all the way to the point and the reason that he came in the first place, which was to go to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he effectively and and actually did the saving by dying on the cross, by becoming a land, becoming sin for us even, Paul says, so that our sins could be forgiven and washed away. He became the Savior His kingship was laying down his life for sinners. His lordship now extends over and beyond death itself. Jesus having raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. There is no end to his lordship. Christ himself is the center of the angelic good news of the great of the good news and the great joy. Christ's birth is heaven's headline. It's heaven's news, heaven's joy. All of the events around the angelic announcement are humble and meaningful and tender, and there's all kinds of affirming expression of meaning, but Christ himself being the Savior and Lord is the meaning. Jesus is the good news of great joy. It's not just that Jesus was coming to preach good news of great joy. Jesus is himself the good news. Christmas for Christians should be more about Christ than the document on human fraternity for world peace and living together. The document on human fraternity for world peace and living together was signed by Pope Francis, and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, Ahmad Al-Tayyib, on February 4th, 2019. The document signed by the Pope and the Grand Imam is for the purpose of, quote, world peace and living together. Now, in so much as the document encourages love and, and goodwill and human freedom and Opposition to senseless war and slavery and poverty, it's a good document. But human fraternity for world peace and living together is not necessarily the same as what Luke means, not in the same way. The document mentions God, peace, the poor, freedom, tolerance, justice, goodwill, and on and on. And isn't that what Christmas is about? Right? Doesn't one of our Christmas songs include the refrain, goodwill to men? Here's the issue I found with reading the document. A few things really, but namely the one thing is I read through the document, something was missing. The more I read, the more I got into this six-page document this week, the more it became clear that it was missing. So obviously that it was clearly and intentionally left out. I thought, maybe, maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe, maybe the Pope and the Imam's document is what, what I wish and hope it could be, but maybe I'm just missing it. So I, I put it into a Word document or a Pages document. I got up, got up in a little tool and clicked Search. And what I thought I read was correct. The report came back in the middle of my screen, no occurrences of Jesus in this document. 
That's what I think I would expect when the Pope signs a document with the Grand Imam. But put a few red ribbons and some Christmas cards and bells on it, and the document could be a good Christmas manifesto for the West. But it should not be so in Christian homes. I fear sometimes there may be no more mentions of Jesus' name in the houses of those who call themselves Christian than the document on human fraternity. Let me ask you a question. Has your Bible been opened and read aloud? Have you offered a word of thanks to God in prayer for Jesus, for Jesus Christ this season, this year? If we were to do a, a search of your house, would it bring back the result? No occurrences of Jesus in this domain. The mentions that Jesus does get in the house, maybe they're passing nods, honorable mentions, like we give to people who don't get first place. I just want to make sure Jesus gets a trophy because we want to make sure everyone gets a trophy in our house. The meaning of Luke 2 and the nativity events is Christ. Christ Jesus is how Luke 2 ends, reminding us that this Christ, the Lord, the Savior, is giving, been given the name Jesus, Yeshua. That's the center of the passage. It's the center of all the events. It's the angelic clarifying announcement proclamation of what this baby means, that he is the Savior of mankind. But Jesus is sorely missing from the world's idea of human fraternity for world peace and living together. He should not be missing from our homes if we are professing faith in him. Parents, whether we try or not, we are discipling our children either about Christ or Christmas. If we're not intentional, we will disciple our children in regards to Christmas and we will disregard Christ. Spend time decorating your house and driving around looking at lights and and going to the edge of town to cut down a tree. I think all of those could be Christ-centered traditions. They could be. I don't know. And it's so great. Praise God. Thank God for these traditions. Without Christ, their discipleship about Christmas. What's the difference between Christmas in your house and every Netflix movie? Even some of the so-called faith-based ones. Are we passing on Christ or Christmas to the next generation? I plead with you to focus on Christ. The angels came to give the meaning of the baby in the nature, in the manger, that today he is born Christ, Savior, Lord. He is the meaning or the events on either side of the angelic announcement are meaningless. I plead with you to trust Christ today for forgiveness of your own sin. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas this year. Presents aside, things aside, I just hope it's a joyful season for you. It's been a long 2020. It's been a long 2020. I know it's 2021. I was getting there. It's been a long 2021 as well. So many ways for so many. I hope this is a sweet, warm season for you. 
But friends, it's pointless. Christmas is pointless if Christ is not at its center, if Christ the Lord, the Savior, is not at the, min- the, the middle of it, the center of it, the purpose of it. I just want to encourage you today to believe in Jesus and, and no one else. Have your sentiments array, aroused and, and raised for Jesus Christ. And set aside sentimentalism for true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give Jesus all of your allegiance today. Call him Lord. Recognize him as King. And friends, if you do that, you ought to join a local church as well, where people who are doing the very same thing. But to do that, you simply get down and prayerful state in your own heart and mind, confess your sin, confess your faith to Christ, and be forgiven today. 1 John chapter 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can know, you can know today if you go to God in prayer and humbly and truly confess your sin and trust that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior crucified for sinners, that God is faithful. He really will forgive you. He really will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this Christmas can be different than any other Christmas because you have the gift of God. You have the gift of relationship, reconciliation, peace with God. Make your Christmas about Christ. Make your Christmas about Christ then. Traditions are good. I, I think annual Christmas traditions are helpful in as much as they are gears toward Christ. One of the things I'm so thankful that Colette has done in our house, and she's not here this morning, so I don't have to worry about making her blush. One of the things I'm thankful for that she did in our house a long time ago, I did not think of this, I'm not clever like this, but we have a pretty traditional kind of normal nativity set, no dragon. Every year on Christmas morning, that nativity set gets moved from usually the same place in our house onto our kitchen table on Christmas Eve. So when we wake up in the morning, the, the table is is set for breakfast and the nativity is at the table and our kids are invited every year to go grab something that you love and treasure, uh, usually some kind of toy. It could be a transformer. It, it could be a stuffed animal. Uh, I fear that in a few years it's just going to be all iPhones and, and bring that and put that on the table in the nativity scene. It's just a little picture. Our, our, our kids are older-ish now than they used to be, but it's just a, a picture of the fact that we're invited to worship. Everything that we treasure most, we're invited to bring. Any kind of people, all kinds of people are invited to the nativity. I think it's a great tradition that we've done every year. Just a little small thing that just reminds us the nativity is about us coming to worship and that everyone is welcome. Consider these ways to make Christ center in your home. Read of Christ. Read of Christ. Do it aloud. Do it alone. Do it together. Make Christmas Day about Christ for 25 days or 30 days or 365 days. Read it. Read the Word. If you haven't yet and you're interested, grab the Advent book that we put on the very back table, Good News, Great Joy. I found it very helpful, very short, very accessible. A lot of, a lot of power and a little punch. Read it every day. Read it with your family. Read it with your spouse. If you're alone, read it out loud by yourself.
Thank God in your prayer. Thank God for Christ. In prayer, pray the angelic announcement back to God. Spend time in prayer. Just stop not praying for things and just stop and thank God that there's a king, that there's a savior, there's a Christ, there's a Lord who came to save us from our sins. Make your prayers Christ-centered. Tell of Christ. One of the ways you make this, this season Christ-centered in your life, Christ-centered, is to, to tell of Christ. Listen, there are opportunities to tell people about Jesus during Christmas that do not exist the other days of the year. It's normal. It's a thing that's out in our culture. It's what gets everywhere. It's every newspaper. It's every advertisement. It's at every store. It's all around us. We're, we're living in it. We're walking in it. We're talking. We're spending money on it. It's everywhere we go. And this week, I was at HEB buying some things for uh, our life group uh, Christmas at our house. And I just put things on the, the conveyor belt there, and, and they're going forward. And I'm about halfway through my grocery cart, and the guy kind of finishes up his last sale, and he turns to me, and he looks at the stuff coming down the conveyor belt, and he looks right at me and goes, you got a special occasion? I'm like, it's Christmas. <laughs> Isn't everyone buying stuff for, for Christmas? Now, I was too slow and dull and, and busy and in a hurry to realize that was my chance. Is there a special event? Yeah. The birth of the Son of God crucified for your sins. I wish that's, what, that's one of those moments where I get into the truck and I realize that was my moment. That was the window. The, the air we breathe is about Christ-ish things. Make it explicitly about Christ. Talk about Christ. Give like Christ. Give for Christ's purpose. Give like Christ. Be generous to your church. Be generous for the sake of your church. The church exists as a lighthouse, a, a group of people trying to live out Isaiah 61 and what it means for the world. Maybe you would, be, you would do well to give someone a card that says, I got you a shirt and some jeans or a book or some deodorant or some soap. Hope you like that. I gave the rest to someone else who needed it. Why? And then, then you get, Mom, why'd you do that? Well, let me tell you, sweetheart. Let's talk about what matters in the world. Let's talk about Christ and how he gives and who he came to give for and to. Christians, we should not spend much time, if any, Googling gifts, what to give each other. Something we should not be doing is Googling what to buy for each other because we already have so much stuff. We don't even know what to buy for each other, so we Google it because we're afraid that we'd bore them. Give them a card that says, here's your Starbucks card. We don't need more rich people buying rich people more stuff in the name of Jesus. Give it to somewhere else. This just means that Christmas is practiced for the rest of the year. The rest of our lives. Making Christ central is not about getting Christmas right. It's about getting Christ. It's about getting Him. It's about getting the good news. It's about getting our own salvation from sin. It's about saying, I don't care what else I have in the world if I have Jesus Christ. If I have faith. If I have salvation in Him. And getting to Christ. Trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. This and this alone, this one thing, Christ the Savior, born Lord and King, is 
the means to seriously great joy. To great joy. That's what the angel announced. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold. Because they were afraid because they just saw an angel appear out in the field. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Christ is the news, which means Christ is the great joy. It's not good news and great joy. I'm going to bring you good news about Jesus Christ, and I've got some good news in this hand. Jesus Christ on the headlines, turn to page 8 for great joy. Christ is the joy. The good news of Christ is great joy. The word for joy here is the word megas. Mega, it's so great. It's mega joy that all the songs the angels sing in heaven are centered around this good news. So great that this content, this news, was worth angels traveling into realm from heaven to earth to announce it and then get together and have a song choir about it to the shepherds. This word corresponds in Hebrew with the word grown up, to become great. This is a fully grown up joy. This is a fully mature joy, the full extent of joy. In secular terms, a common name for Zeus, for, Zeus, for example, in ancient Greek culture was Megas Zeus. They considered him to be the greatest god. This is the greatest joy. This is the mega joy, a very specific word meant to amplify the joy. It's not just a little joy. It's not just some joy. It's not just partial joy. It's great joy. The word joy itself means is kara in Greek. In Greek. Not Groot. This noun's an acting emotion. This word and group of words is most common in Luke among the Gospels. Here, joy is the dominant mood in Luke 1 and 2. And joy is the persistent mood through the Gospels and the acts of Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist is still in the womb, Luke says that he, when Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's voice, that John the Baptist jumped with joy in her womb. There is joy in one's name being written in the Lamb's book of life in Luke 10. There's joy in finding out, finding what is lost three times in Luke 15. And joy, this joy, Jesus says in Luke 6, is meant to be sturdy. It's meant to be hardy. It's meant to be undefeatable. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, Christ the Lord. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For your reward is great. And this is a, a sudden but persistent joy which overcomes you when you hear good news, where your soul is so encouraged, your body takes a gasping breath and lets out some expression of joy. A solid joy, a serious joy, it doesn't just overcome you for a moment. It's a joy which can compete with the pleasures of sin. A joy that can compete with every loss and every sorrow. A joy so stubborn and sturdy and alive that death cannot take this joy away. 
What does joy look like in a person? What's it look like when joy gets in someone's chest? When joy gets nestled into someone's heart, what does it look like? Where do we see the joy in the passage of Luke chapter 2? It's, it's the same throughout Luke. Joy becomes praise. Joy becomes praise. In the passage, the angels and the shepherds both praise God and glory in Jesus Christ. The culmination of joy is praise. You could say it this way, the enjoyment of joy is praise. What do we do with the joy? We enjoy it by turning it into praise. The enjoyment of our own joy is its expression in praise. I've read this paragraph many times over the years. I'm going to read it again in case you've never heard it or so you could be reminded of it. C.S. Lewis talks about praise being the completion of joy. He says, I think that we delight to praise what we enjoy. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain of, or valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people you care for it, who care for it, the people you are with care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. He says, the, Scottish, the Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. And commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Listen, do you not hear Luke suggesting that if you trust, you trust Christ, you must have joy. And if you have joy, you, you must praise. Since you have joy, now you must praise. In a sense, yes, but trusting Christ, the good news, and having joy in the good news are inextricable events in the heart. Like front and rear tires on an all-wheel drive vehicle. Two axles, both working at the same time in the same direction. That's how it worked out in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds returned. They had heard the news. They saw Christ. The shepherds returned, <clears throat> glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Why is chapter 2, verse 20 in the narrative? Why is chapter 2, verse 20 part of the story? This is how we know the shepherds heard and believed the good news of great joy. Their praise is part of Luke's report. And Christians, our joy ought to set us apart from the world. People ought to see our praise. Christ is due our praise. What it means to trust Christ is to come to see Him as Lord and Savior and so praise Him. Luke put this here so that we get to see the shepherds' expression of their belief, of their trust. The trust in the good news became their great joy. It should be our joy if we are in Christ. 
If not, the further our joy is from Christ, the further we are from Christ being Savior and Lord. One of the things that I think opposes joy today historically has always been hostility toward Christ and towards Christianity. But I thought it was helpful this week. Al Mohler gave a speech at the Evangelical Theological Society in Fort Worth a few weeks ago. And he was kind of doing a synopsis of where evangelicalism has gone in the past several years since the society began in 1949. And as you would expect, some of the parts are just kind of brainy and hard to follow and difficult to understand. Quoting guys who I've never even heard of. But there's this one section in, in his speech where I thought he, he did a really helpful thing to help us clarify the air that we're in today, in part. He says, we've gone from Time Magazine asking, is God dead in the 60s, to a shrug. The response of so many in this depleted age is a shrug. Not even an argument about God. He says, Terry Eagleton says, this society's, the societies become secular not so much when they dispense of religion altogether, but when they are no longer particularly agitated by it. Elsewhere, Eagleton said that religion and Christianity in particular, let this never be true of us. God help us. Christianity in particular in Western society has now become a personal pastime like breeding gerbils or collecting porcelain. It's just kind of a hobby that we have. Kind of a thing we do on the side. And it makes us happy, I guess as happy as porcelain could make someone. We're supposed to have death-defying joy. Not shrugs. What kills our joy? Traffic? Other pleasures? Our joy will be low. It will be weak. It will be fragile if our lives and our Christmases look like a wonderful Christmas card from the Vatican. Fraternal Goodwill, tolerant, not bothering anyone, not agitating anyone, not upsetting anyone, not asking anyone any questions. Having no passion, having no zeal, having no fervor, having no affection that bursts into praise. Where there is no Savior for our sins to death. Where there is no Lord crucified for us and risen from the grave. Christianity has become a hobby and not a hope. This joy that Luke is talking about is not a Christmas joy. It's not a, a joy about Christmas things. Great joy is about Christ, which overcomes the toughest opposition for affections. 
This joy, this great joy goes through Luke and it goes through Acts. It's the joy, the joy in Christ, the the joy in salvation, the joy in sin being forgiven is the unbreakable joy in the church. We read from Luke chapter 6, verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of the Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy because it's a joy that's undefeatable by those things. Your reward is undefeatable. Resurrection is undefeatable by death and false prophets and persecution and loss. The last sentence in the book of Luke is Luke 24, verse 52 to 53. And it concludes the book of Luke by saying, After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This continues with followers of Christ through the entire New Testament. Hebrews says about the church, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. James 1-2 calls us, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Matthew 13, Jesus teaches about the kingdom in his joy. The one who has discovered the great pearl goes and sells all that he has. In Acts, when they were arrested, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In 2 Corinthians 8, excuse me, Romans 5, Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. Colossians 1, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12, speaking of Christ, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 1 Peter 1, you rejoice now, though for a little while you have been grieved. 1 Peter 4, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Boiling it down, when we observe and understand God's word, when we see the good news, and we see Christ is the good news, and Christ is the source of joy, it means that we can have joy in trial, joy in grief, joy in affliction, joy in being poured out, joy in weakness, joy in poverty, joy in shame, joy in selling everything that we have, joy in persecution, joy in being plundered, joy in the cross, joy in sharing Christ's sufferings. There's the great joy of good news of Christ so serious and true and sturdy and alive to you. There's a poem called You and Me. This year I got to host a panel that included a a man named Bob Fu. Bob was imprisoned in China in 1996 for his ministry and he was eventually came to the U.S., Since then, Bob has been invited to brief presidents, cabinet secretaries, and congressional committees on inner workings and political China. But to talk to Bob is just to talk to a Christian who loves God and the church 
especially in China. In the panel on persecution, Bob shared about his friend John Cao, C-A-O. John is currently today in prison. Right now, John sits in a Yunnan, China prison cell. The poem that we're going to read is written from 2020, just last year, smuggled out of China. John unable to receive visitors, experiencing health problems, just received a Bible for the first time a year or so after being in prison. For a while, the only chance he had to read Scripture was to find copies of Nietzsche's work or Uncle Tom's Cabin and find the passage of Scripture quoted in those books, and then he would write them on scrap pieces of paper and take them back hidden into his cell. John Cow was imprisoned because he set up 16 different schools in the Chinese Burma area and used the Bible in all of those schools. So he was sentenced to seven years' prison. This is the poem that was part of the poem that was smuggled out of China and published this year in a book called Living Lyrics. John says, you put me in the prison cell. I smile at you. You take away all my belongings, but you cannot take away the love of Christ from my heart. You make the persecution of Christ your letter of promotion. I regard the disgrace of Christ as more precious than that. Your iron gate is also the narrow door of God. And I am proud to enter it with praise and thanksgiving. Your prison is to me as the garden of God. And I delight and sing in it. The you being China. Me being John. That's a serious joy. A serious joy. As you're going about your week, your life this day, remember there's a man in prison in China, five or six years left, who's happy and singing. Because he has the good news of great joy. Focus your eyes on Jesus Christ, whose joy it was to go to the cross, that he might forgive our sins. Make your mornings, your days, your lunch, your evening, your traditions, your giving, your nights about the Savior. Make it about Christ the Lord. Open it. Open his word. Read it. Sing a song. Listen to a song as your family. Get some quiet time alone this week for an hour or two or shorter or longer and just think about Christ. Write about Christ. Journal about Christ. Write a song. Write a poem. Write your thoughts. Pray. Thanks to God for Jesus Christ. For there in the good news of Jesus Christ is great joy. Psalm chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 says it like this. 
There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and when their wine abounds. Let's pray. Now, Father, would you help us today be serious about joy? Not take it lightly. Help us understand and see with our eyes, our mind, and our heart. The measure of joy is the same measure of the goodness of the news of Christ Himself. And when we leave, Father, today, would you help us leave hearts filled, not with bubbly joy about a season, but a deep, lasting joy about our Savior, about Christ, about the Lord, our sin forgiven. Father, where we have come with no faith, we pray that you would help us leave with faith, eyes opened. Seeing, believing, enjoying Christ for the first time. Father, where we have gotten weak and low and put our eyes and our joy and our affections on other things, help us repent. Help us set all of those secondhand joys aside that we can enjoy the joy of heaven. Christ the Lord. Father, where some of us are enduring sorrow and hanging on and have low faith and many questions, help us boil down our heart and our mind to the faith that Jesus is the Christ. He died for sin. He rose from the grave. And in this news, this truth, there's great joy. Help us have great joy by your spirit and by your word. Father, thank you for time together today to get away from the world and get here together to sing, to praise, to pray, to rest in united faith and hope in you. We love you, Father. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, glad that you are.